0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: I'm Neil Zacharias and you're listening to eat for the planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Food writing would not be what it is today without Mark Bittman. For more than two decades, his popular stories appeared in the New York Times, where he was ultimately the lead food writer for the Sunday Magazine, and became the country's first food-focused op-ed columnist for a major news publication. Mark has authored over 20 books, and the 10th anniversary edition of his best-selling kitchen classic, How to Cook Everything Vegetarian, was recently published. Mark may write a lot about how to cook vegetables, and even has a book dedicated to helping people eat vegan before 6pm, but he is an adamant meat eater himself. This made for a rather interesting conversation. The bottom line is everyone needs to eat much less meat and way more plant-based foods if you want to create a truly sustainable food system and fight the health crisis we're facing in this country and globally. That's why I believe a conversation like this between people who share similar goals but may not share the same views on everything is so important. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Mark Bittman, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Happy to be here. So I've been thinking about uh, this a lot lately, um, and I've said it to a few people over the years, but sometimes I wonder if I could be more effective in convincing people to to re-examine what they put in their grocery carts or on their plates, specifically to adopt uh, or to choose more plant-based foods uh, over meat, if I myself ate meat or said I ate meat. Um, and, the <laughs> I of, <laughs> and the reason I think... lie. And the I've, reason I've been thinking about it is because it, it tends to get very polarizing. And maybe this is one amongst the many reasons, and by no means it's the only reason, you've been very effective in reaching a lot of people, is because you've been always pretty clear about the fact that you're a meat eater. Um, do you think that's true?
2: It's been helpful? Well... Let me first say that it's not a strategy. It's who I am and what I've done. So, um, I wrote how to cook everything vegetarian because I thought people needed to understand how to cook vegetables better. Not because I thought anyone needed to be a vegetarian. I wrote VB six precisely because I thought people needed a strategy to eat less meat and more veggies, but not because I wanted anybody to be vegan and, um, that's just honesty that's not a marketing strategy or it's not or and it's not a how are we gonna change the world strategy it's just the only thing I could think of when I wrote the first when I wrote how to cook everything vegetarian at first it was because I thought the writing is on the wall humans need to eat more plants that's just such a simple truth right that's not the same thing as saying people need to be vegan mm-hmm. and when I wrote vb6 it was because I needed for myself a strategy that was like, if I don't have some rules around this, because I know me, I'm just going to eat like way more meat than I should and more junk food than I should and more like white flour and stuff than I should. But if I make some rules around this, I won't. And that worked. So I thought it was worth talking about. So am I more effective? You know, your question is if essentially, am I more effective than I would have been If I were a vegan, I don't know. But I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think it's true. I would never tell anyone not to be a vegan. But if someone asked me whether I thought they should be a vegan, I would never say yes. I just don't think there's any compelling reason. So it is so much more likely that we're going to get people to eat 10, we're going to get everybody to eat 10% less meat and junk food, than we are going to get whatever the equivalent number of people to convert, convert to (laughs) veganism, air quotes around convert. The other thing is bearing in mind that some huge percentage of vegans don't have great diets. Mm -hmm. So it's not even a sound argument for like eating well. It's It's a great argument for ethical behavior towards animals, obviously. But as far as I'm concerned, that's it.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think in this uh, crowded um, information age uh, where everything is so polarizing and people just want to bucket people into mm. uh, under little labels, um, you see that in politics, you're either a liberal or a conservative. Um, when it comes to people working on um, food reform even, you're either an angry vegan activist or you're a rational, grass-fed, sustainable, regenerative agriculture advocate. And I don't think the world is, and I, I, I'm assuming you would agree, the world isn't black and white. We, um, while it's easy to focus on our differences, maybe it makes for better TV or a better story in a a newspaper or a magazine. When you end up focusing on our um, similarities, you end up with a much more productive um, discussion. Because if you look at, most people are fighting for um, a just food system. Uh, There's maybe eighty percent we agree on, maybe even ninety percent, and just ten we disagree on um and those uh, are kind of and i think labels
2: sometimes as useful as they are can be limiting i'm i mean i do i do agree with that um i think if you ask 90% of people who consider themselves food activists what the issues are they'll, they'll agree on what the issues are i think that is right but um I do think that you can advocate for a just food system and advocate for animal welfare and so on down the line without labeling yourself anything. Anything, So I don't. You know, the other thing about veganism, and and I'm not trying to harp on this, but it's to some extent it's another one of these things that people set up as something to um, aspire to, and they set themselves up for failure and it's sort of intentional it's like oh well uh i want to eat healthy now so i'm going to be a vegan mm. um which is like saying oh i want to be healthy now so i'm going to run five miles five times a week and then when you fail at those things because they're hard then you're like eh, to hell with it i'm just going to go back to the way that i was before but as you say it's not black and white there is a middle ground there's something called um exercising three to five times a week as much as you feel like it da, 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 and that's like effective and there's something called reduce your meat consumption cut out junk food and eat more plants mm-hmm. and that's the way we should all be eating yeah. i mean all when i say all i mean people who eat too much meat and junk food which is the majority of people in the western or whatever you want to call it, developed world people in the non-western less developed world need to s- need to not start eating junk food and they probably for the most part are entitled to eat more meat but they're eating a tenth of what you know white westerners do at this point so
1: yeah it depends on who your audience is at the end of the day also and the message can uh, adjust and by no means i don't think you're saying people shouldn't aspire to be anything whatever label we may want to use um just uh you know, make sure you know what it is that you're getting into and why. If your goal is to eat healthy or eat more sustainable, right. then make that the goal without
2: putting a label on it. And right. then if you choose to use a label, good for you. I mean, um, as I've said many times, Coke and French fries are vegan. So <laughs> if you want to eat healthy, it's not necessarily the same as being a vegan. Mm-hmm. True. I mean, so let's, you know, let's
1: talk a little bit more about um, uh, something you've um, recently written about. Uh, I know you took a bit of a hiatus from uh, regular writing, uh, and then came back this past summer in 2017. Uh, you wrote this article called "The uh, New Foodieism," um, which um, and and I'll let you talk more about it. But um, the basic idea being that being a foodie should be more than just about eating food, right? Um, and it's connected to not just. Caring about our food system and um, improving our food system, but is sort of connected to everything. Um, and you do drew some parallels with that and what's happening in the political environment. For the listener who hasn't read that article, what would you like them to take away from uh, this idea of caring not just about food when it comes to flavor and taste and whether it's going to fill you up, but what it means to to be a conscious eater.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that you need to get into that. You know, you're sort of talking about three levels here. One is enjoying food, which everybody can, and pretty much everybody does do. Two is appreciating where it comes from and how it's produced. And that's important. And then the third is making the link between that stuff and the bigger picture. So let's just quickly take them one at a time. I, you know, I'm so sick of restaurants and I'm so over this whole like latest thing and this is the coolest ingredient and da 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 da. And I'm a person who cooks, I'm a person who writes about cooking. I just wish that would all kind of get over and get back to normal. Like I don't want truffle fries or any of that stuff. I just want like people to cook and eat normal food and stop talking about restaurants because it's driving me crazy. But okay, you have to appreciate that food comes from somewhere. And once you do that, then you start thinking, huh, how is it produced? It's not. It doesn't come from the back of the restaurant or from the back of the supermarket. It comes from the land. It needs energy. It needs nutrients. It needs labor. It needs transportation. And all of those things have an impact. So one thing that we, let's say food activists or whatever the hell I am, say often is that we think food should be affordable, green, nutritious, and fair. So affordable. Mm-hmm explanatory, green, sustainable, good for the environment, whatever you want to call it, nutritious, self-explanatory, and fair, meaning workers and animals are treated humanely. That's a big deal. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that was a 30-second summary of like an entire change of the way we produce food. So if you do those things, you're then going to have an impact on many other aspects of society because, you know, the whole state of Iowa is dependent on high-input agriculture that produces only two crops that are used to make junk food and are dependent on um, cheap labor. If you start producing food that's fair, green, nutritious, and affordable, Iowa has to change everything about the way it does agriculture. And the same is true about a lot of agriculture. And the same is true about that means it affects labor. It affects our use of fossil fuels it affects the way we look at climate change it affects the way we look at soil the environment water use everything, everything. not quite everything you know someone said you know tell me how this is related to like gay rights issues and i'm like okay that's a stretch <laughs> but it's related if you start saying what does it take to make food sustainable mm-hmm. to use a one-word thing what does it do to make food sustainable it takes a lot it's gonna take if not a revamping of society then an an activist citizenry and a responsible government and we don't have either of those two things right yeah now. so it's, it's a little bit like you know Naomi Klein wrote a book called this changes everything about climate change and it's a little bit like that if you unpack it then it it's it starts touching on me but Many important issues are like that. Labor, if you just say, well, if we just treated all workers right, if all workers were paid decent wages and given decent benefits and given plenty of time off enough to take care of their families and have reasonable lives and da-da-da, well, that also changes everything about society, including food. So it's like a – it's not even a two-way street. It's like a very complicated – I don't know what you call it. I mean, it's a sort of super complicated Venn diagram. I guess. <laughs> and who do you think has the most, um, I mean, we all share this responsibility, but
1: you started off by talking about restaurants. Uh, whenever I talk to chefs, I tend to try to dig deeper into this issue as in to what extent do chefs now understand that they have a responsibility, that they are trendsetters? They have.
2: Um... Yeah, but are they? I don't even know if they are. <laughs> I wish they would all go away. Almost. <laughs> like, I don't. Because no one, I, I don't believe them. If a mm-hmm. server comes out and says, this is grass-fed meat, it comes from 50 miles away, we know the cow, blah, blah, blah. I think nine out of 10 times they're lying. I mean, mm-hmm. That's just what I think. Because they just can't all be sourcing as sustainably as they promise they're sourcing. There's not enough stuff out there for them to be doing that. So some, I think, you know, I could name the ones on one hand that I think actually are principal The rest of them, I think it's like, oh, yeah, we need to tell people that we're doing local and organic food Mm -hmm. because that's what they want to hear. So I suppose in a way that's kind of trend-setting because at least they're reinforcing that people want local and organic food, but they're not giving it to them, and they're not working with farmers, and they're not really trying to source responsibly. Some are, but it's all – it's like back in the 70s, there was this word called natural – Mm. No one would even, it would be, you'd be laughed out of the room if you used the word natural. Now it had some meaning sustainable is losing meaning. Local is losing meaning. Organic is losing meaning because they're being overused by people who just see them as marketing slogans
1: yeah. or labels to put on products. Um, so what would you say? And, then, so, and to the listener, who's, uh, again, trying to grapple with these issues, what would you? What, what simple advice do you try to give people um, to navigate this um, this sort of maze that's out there?
2: It's it's actually the thing is that for individuals it's mm-hmm. really easy. For society it's really complicated. For individuals it's really easy. You know what junk food is? Mm-hmm. It's not really food, so don't eat that or eat as little of it as you can. You don't need a guru. You don't need a set of rules. You don't need like labels. You know, Mary Nessel always said anything that has a label. With health values on it is something you shouldn't eat. This is really true. So, you know, you just, you know what bad food or non food is, steer clear of that. And you know what a vegetable is, eat more of those. Like mm-hmm. broccoli doesn't have a label, it doesn't need a label. There's nothing in it, it's broccoli. I'm not saying you should only eat broccoli, but we know what food is, and mm-hmm. that's what we should be eating. So if you say eat less or no junk food and eat more plants and fewer animal products, that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know anything else. It can't be any simpler. Local, organic, great, but start with this stuff. Yeah. You wrote an
1: interesting, I'm going to go back to one other article that I, I, I love that you would written nearly 10 years ago now. Uh, in the New York Times called uh, Rethinking the Meat Guzzler. Mm, This my first
2: big piece on this subject, yeah.
1: It was the first piece I recall reading about it. At that time, Mm. I was a meat eater. I read the article. I found it very interesting. I promptly did nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two years later, I ended up giving up meat and and don't eat animal products now. But um, the question really is, um, what have you seen has changed over those 10 years? I mean, that was... At that time not many people were talking about the issue. I still don't think enough people know about this. We live in New York City and I um our office is in the upper west and I step into Zaybars and, you know, these are pretty open minded, progressive people. Everyone's um,
2: buying meat. Well, <laughs> oh, for all you know, they only go once a week and they only buy meat once a week and they only hope. eat meat once a week. <laughs> but I, I mean all I know is this, no matter mm-hmm. where I go, whenever I speak to an audience, I say, who here is eating less meat than they were 10 years ago? And everybody raises. Usually six people don't raise their hand. Mm. So then you say, who here isn't eating less meat than they were? And six people raise their And that's in audiences of 200, 300, 400, 500 people. Yeah. Everyone is eating less meat than they were, or claiming to. I mean, they know it's the right thing to do. Right. So maybe they're fooling themselves. Because meat consumption is really not down in this country, but there are also more people. So Mm -hmm. maybe they're fooling themselves, lying to themselves, whatever. Everybody knows that that's the right thing. And then, you know, people know what eating healthy means. People know what destroying the environment means. How do you get them to act that way? So I say that it's simple for individuals to act this way, and for some individuals... It is, but it's not for everybody. So then you need a government that's capable of regulating this stuff. And, you know, you look at the obesity curves, the chronic disease curves, you look at these statistics and you look what, how, how they've risen in lockstep with the availability of calories and of mostly bad calories. Those things are completely tied together. That's no one's fault. That's like industry saying to you, "Hey, we have a bunch of food. Why don't you come out here and eat it? It's cheap." Mm -hmm. And it's not everybody is not able to fight that fight that battle individually. I I think it's up to government to regulate some of the marketing um, that pushes this stuff on us. And to that
1: point, you know, uh, as we in New York City, perhaps it's easy for most people to afford healthier foods. Um, and I know you're a big proponent of home cooking, but the fact of the matter is that we live in a, you know, most people have very busy lives, and at the end of the day, convenience tends to trump the pleasures of cooking or the fun of cooking, and maybe they leave that to the weekends. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on um, the shift in the natural food industry, the specifically you know, consumer packaged goods, uh, toward more healthier, organic, call it whatever, plant-based options. Um, so I guess I'm going to ask a broad question. What is your thoughts on the rising natural, organic, plant-based food space in, the, in this space of products and grocery stores? I mean, I'm not, not talking about produce and cooking at home.
2: I mean, if you mean convenience food, mm-hmm. another Marion Nessel quote, organic junk food is still junk food. So if it's real food, great. Mm -hmm. If it's not real food, I don't care if it's organic or not. Doesn't matter. It's junk. So that's an important thing. And as for cooking, uh, it's got to be you have to talk to people. You've talked to the majority of people. You can't talk to the exceptional number of people. So for some people, cooking is really easy. And for some people, cooking is impossible. But for most people, cooking is a practical thing to do it's less expensive than eating out it doesn't take more time than eating out it does take more effort mm-hmm. no question but it's something you can learn how to do and you can do it faster 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 and simpler 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 um you know and i i think people it's it's a shame that we're not teaching young people how to do that
1: yeah and i have to get your thoughts on this too you probably are well aware that um, a lot of companies are working on um, either plant-based or in vitro alternatives to everything from um, red meat to, um, to dairy, which is actually pretty, pretty, pretty uh, already pretty popular. Um, what are your thoughts on those products um, and that industry in general? Do you think it has a place in a healthy diet? Do you have an opinion on it in general?
2: You know, I think the jury is out, but uh, you know, you know I've said I'm not anti animal product. So why don't we eat good animal products since that's a natural and time-honored way of doing it instead of trying to figure out how to make milk from yeast. Having said that, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not against that, but you know, I know you're talking to a lot of people who are entrepreneurs in this space and who think the future of food is tech and blah blah blah. And for the most part, I think that what they think is the future of their income is tech and the, the kind of income that they, the fact is that they see food as a space in which tech can become profitable. It hasn't yet, but it well could. You know, I think we should be using legitimate farming techniques. I think we should be eating real food. I think animal products, raising animals is a a legitimate part of agriculture, eating animals, in moderation, is a legitimate part of our diet. It's not that complicated. I don't think we need to reinvent this. And do you think that works uh, globally, or is it just
1: uh, it works in America? Because would we be able to consume um, animal products at the? I, I think you would agree on this. We can't consume it at the at the rate we are consuming totally it today. Agree. Uh, and if you have to feed the world, especially you know, 9.8 billion people by 2050, we
2: have to eat less, replace it with something else. Well, we need to eat less meat, and there is already enough calories to feed 10 billion people. So mm-hmm. it's not really a concern if we do things the right way. Remember yeah. that. Yeah. Fair, affordable, nutritious, yeah. and green. That'll work.
1: All right. So what is um, – if that does happen, if people finally follow your advice, and uh, ah. if the work you are doing uh, and others are doing in this space leads to um, – a better food system, what does that food system look like to you, say, um, you know, it's going to take a while, but let's say 30 years down the line in the year 2050, what do you
2: envision to be the future of food? Um, I think that what we have to do is take steps to move towards something that is a vision of a better food system. So the first steps, I think, would be teaching children about about eating and to some extent about cooking. Preventing marketers from addicting children to sugar and other junk food when they're young. Um, Enforcing EPA regulations so that you can't raise animals by the tens of thousands in in enclosed environments. Taking antibiotics out of the food supply. Let's do those, maybe subsidizing fruits and vegetables for people who can't Mm -hmm. afford them. Let's do those things first. Make land available to new farmers. The list grows. Let's do those things a few at a time and then see what, see what it looks like after we've made some correct steps, some correct adjustments, and then figure out what's next. You're not going to, just like you're not going to, I mean, I don't know what your political views are or not, what, you're not going to like reinvent capitalism tomorrow either. Yeah. What should we do to sort of move towards a more just system? It's the same kind of thing. Let's think of the first three or five things we need to do and move towards that. I think that's sound advice. Thank you so much, Mark Bittman.
1: I appreciate you taking the time today uh, and look forward to keeping in touch and seeing what you do next.
2: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
1: You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nils Zacharias.